1: And welcome everyone to Live Dimer Sunday for November 22nd, 2020. Koyo Kubosa here, so very, very glad you joined us. (laughs) I apologize for the late start. (laughs) You know, if you don't set a timer and you're surfing the web, uh, I must have been surfing the web for over an hour and I got carried away. And then I hear a yell from Adrian in another room in the house, It's 8 o'clock! <laughs> you know, what I what I was looking at that got me all absorbed was um, Chicago, which is where I grew up. And um, <clears throat> this was old photos and uh, history of Chicago. And uh, someone sent me a history of... Uh, Japanese Americans in Chicago, Uh, and uh, during the World War II, as you may know, uh, uh, the 120,000 Japanese that lived on the West Coast were uh, evacuated into what they called uh, internment centers, scattered in remote areas, about at least a dozen Scattered across the United States, very remote areas. Keep them behind barbed wires. They had guard towers, and the whole families. They had to. They all could only take what they could carry. And in spring of 1942, they were all uh, uh, interned and taken. Some some places were in um, Wyoming, like Heart Mountain. Uh, Rohrer, uh Center was in Arkansas. Uh, so they were in uh, desolate areas, uh, you know, n- not many people around. And, of course, they're a visible minority, and um, German-Americans, Italian-Americans, they, they did not suffer this kind of uh, unconstitutional treatment. And um, so someone sent me about... This about um, some some young uh well i guess they might be fifth generation see i'm third generation japanese american so my parents were born <laughs> in the united states i was born in the united states okay uh, half on my maternal side half of my on my mom's side were also born in in, in the united states my grandparents. So, Japanese Americans are the only ethnic group that designated their generations by when they came to America from Japan. And so, they call us the, the third generation. Our kids are the fourth generation. Now there's fifth and sixth generations. If a generation is about 25 years... So, some young people get interested in their heritage, um, and they do, they do research and get some photographs and do interviews, And because the people that lived through that are all pretty much dying off, the Issei, Nisei, uh, uh, they're about gone, and Our generation is Sansei. There's no buffer generation between us and old age, you know. When we were younger, we still had our parents and our grandparents were alive. And when you got a generation buffer, you don't worry about, uh, you know, human mortality and things like this. But uh, when you're next in line... (laughs) And you realize uh, what constant change and passing of time means. So this was all about nostalgia, and they had a whole uh, presentation about the history of Japanese Americans in Chicago, where about 20,000 of them were relocated in 1944. Uh, They didn't want them to go all back to the West Coast, and um, so that's where I grew up in Chicago, um, and and then some of the links on this site went to other aspects of Chicago history and the neighborhoods and different things. So, bam! I was just you know surfing around, looking around, until I hear the yell: "It's eight o'clock!" <laughs> so. This is a a good lesson in terms of assimilation, ethnic groups in different areas. You know, Chicago has different so-called neighborhoods, ethnic neighborhoods, Greek Town, Little Italy, you know, big cities have it. industrial or you know not really having public parks but chicago is very nice because all along the shore, from way from the south side you go to the downtown area then you go to the uptown area and it stretches i don't know how many miles it is but you know there's a lakeshore drive and uh <clears throat> beaches there public parks very uh, you know Without that, Chicago would uh, be in big trouble. And uh, say, in the hot summer time when the, the people can't go uh, to the lake to cool off, and you can go swimming there, and all kind of attractions they got in the downtown area, they they got what's called the Bean. That's <laughs> very relatively new. Uh, it's a, it's just a a sculpture a uh, large bean. shiny, shiny stainless steel. There's a huge bean. I don't know how many fifty feet long. I don't know I don't know what who came up with that idea. But it's just a bean shaped stainless steel thing. In Grant Park there. You know, we got Buckingham Palace there, we got um, Navy Pier. Uh, all kind of attractions, you know, Ferris wheel there and all this stuff. Uh, the Chicago River goes right through downtown area. And uh, I think that's uh, the history is uh, that river used to flow into Lake Michigan. And uh, I don't know when it was, but the engineers, it was a great engineering feat at the time. They reversed the flow of the Chicago River. They didn't want all that pollution to go into Lake Michigan, so they reversed it, and it goes somewhere else, you know, in the state. Anyway, north, south, south side, west side, uh, yeah, that was, uh, every once in a while, you it's good to revisit your old stomping grounds a place where you grew up in your formative years, you know, and uh, (laughs) until I left for college, okay. And um, so I'm familiar with the South Side. We used to live on the South Side in the Hyde Park area where uh, University of Chicago is located. And I also live on the North Side. Um, You go a couple of miles further north from uptown and you see Northwestern Universities there, okay. And as I said, all along the uh, the lakefront, nice parks and everything. So you get a sense of wh- how you grew up, what was going on, okay, in order to inform uh, who you are, in a way, okay, and what kind of influences it might have that you might want to enhance and or, you know, uh, and so it has a, uh, not just for nostalgia, but for uh, implication for future directions, and so forth. Um, okay, I want to introduce our guest to give us a Dharma glimpse today, Neil Hakuyo, part of our nm 12 group, so uh, he's a recent uh, lay Minister graduate, we might say, of our two year program. So let's hear from Neil Hakuyo. Hello.
0: on an eclectic acre out of central Florida, inland from the coast, a little off the beaten path, near the uh, St. John's River, and on this acre, my wife is quite the planter. She has quite a smattering of different uh, things that she's gotten into over the years, and more recently is bananas. planted it almost two years ago. The tree is in an area of the yard where we have a small retaining wall and uh, shortly after planting taken back because I didn't know what to expect and I was really uh, quite frankly I was amazed by the beauty of the bloom it was it was almost sensual it was magnificent it was engaging Um, it was a deep purple bulbous Um, it appeared from this curling appendage um, out of the top of one of you know the very top of the tree and uh It really left me in awe. I found my wife and I shared it with her. We both agreed that it was a natural wonder. And uh, we watched it. We would check on it every single day. And it was really just amazing. Um, It was probably for me the first time where I felt like uh, a plant was sentient. Uh, there There was a connection with it. And every single day, That it ever could be. Um, and so we enjoyed that. Uh, the fruit never really became edible, although we tried, and I, I did in fact eat. <laughs> when I, later, I later learned that you know part of the problem was the soils. And there's a lot to get the fruit out of a banana, but I will say that it was a very um, wonderful experience with the plant. And I hadn't thought about it in a long time. Uh, like I said, it was over two years ago. just been a bunch of banana leaves out there, and since that first bloom, a lot of life has happened, a lot of perspective has shifted, and, you know, there's a lot of social events that have been a part of daily life. On November 4th, we got our second bloom, and at first I did not register the mob package, When I did, my initial inclination was just to move on, Um, but something stopped me. And for a moment, I was transformed back to that sheer awe, that first time I experienced that bloom. And I wondered what had changed in me. Why was it my initial inclination to move past it when, you know, only a short time ago, maybe... Been a year or longer that I had to go and run and get my wife and sit down and and you know, we you know talk about how beautiful it was and how sensual the bloom was and and I realized in that moment that for so many real reasons it was my perspective that had changed and at the center of my practice I've always had to acknowledge. Ignorance is the source of our suffering, and so if I don't maintain a perspective that embraces the beauty of being unfolding before me every day, then that's that's on me, and so I took the opportunity to sit with the, with the new buds. Been watching it over the past few days as it blooms, and embrace the opportunity to evolve my perspective in such a way so that I can take time to enjoy that bloom and remind myself that that's, that's the power that a strong practice affords us is the reminder that when we get in a situation. aren't as comfortable as a feeling as maybe they once were. Um, but we sit down and ask ourselves why that is and uh, just see if our perspective is where we would like it to be. But that was my thoughts for this week, and that was my thoughts with this uh, with this uh, second bloom of this uh, dwarf cabin. Have a
1: happy
0: Sunday,
1: friends. Be well. Thank you very much. Um, There's a saying, as I listen, you know, kind of interesting because um, Adrian takes care of the uh, soliciting all lay, past lay ministers who would like to participate in giving the timer Talk for Live Dimer Sunday. And, uh, and then they get posted on the um, Blog Talk Radio, which is our server uh, for Live Dimer Sunday. And uh, all I do is I go on to uh, Blog Talk and Live Dimer Sunday, and then the, whatever is listed on the studio link... I see, okay, so-and-so, and for this date, the talk has been uploaded there, and I just hit it. So the point is, I'm hearing it for the first time. Uh, <clears throat> didn't know what they were going to talk about. But the more you walk on your spiritual path, the more you have a accumulated... Influences that make up your attitude, okay, whether you know it or not, and um, it only gets better and better. There's nothing's wasted. All your experiences, okay, everything will boost your sincerity in your in your spiritual journey. Um, I always remember one time uh, when I was a minister at the Buddhist Temple in Chicago. We had a small discussion group. We we're going to discuss this uh something, some writing, and I said, "Well, here's what I got out of it, and I was talking about it. And then one person mentioned, "See, I read the article, and I never thought of any of those things uh, so I think that's the richness of our karmic influences, you know, whether subconsciously or not it's changing us. Uh, so that we become better and better receptors or receivers of things. So there's a twofold aspect of the spiritual growth process internal and external. Now, external would be where, oh, well, you're going to read some books, you're going to hear some talks, you're going to go on retreats, you're seeking something externally. But at the same time, there's a process going on internally about all, all all your experiences, all the books you read, all the discussions you had, changes your internal receptivity sensitivity <laughs> for the Dharma teachings. Okay. So I always remember... Uh, in Chicago, one of my fellow Buddhist ministers at the Chicago uh, BCA Buddhist Churches of America Temple—we okay, were independent temple—but in Chicago there was uh, another Shin, uh, Jodo Shinshu Buddhist temple that's affiliated with Buddhist Churches of Chicago. But uh, the Japanese Buddhist ministers in Chicago, there may be about was about six of us you know, representing uh, Shin Buddhism, um, Jodo Buddhism, um, Zen Buddhism, um, Nichiren. We would get together for a little uh, casual, informal dinner once a year to plan how we were going to uh, represent uh, uh, Buddhist uh, ministers and clergy and that community at the Memorial Day annual Memorial Day Japanese American community uh, people's um, Memorial Day observation uh, Buddhist Christians, you know, the whole community uh, on Le- on Memorial Day in the cemetery, where you know, back in the '30s or '40s. Uh, minorities, especially visible minorities, Japanese Americans, they couldn't get buried in certain cemeteries, you know. And uh, as it happened, at the Montreux Cemetery, uh, they had a different policy, an open policy, and so there's a section, of a physical section of that cemetery where uh, a lot of japanese american uh community members had their uh, uh, tombstones and graves and you know and it's a nice little kind of a cozy ethnic place okay we can go and you can look at the tombst to, uh, the markers, which are all standardized nowadays before they used to be. You know, wasn't standardized, but now it's all standardized, and they it, and it's just a, a horizontal a marker on the ground so that uh, the groundskeepers can easily upkeep the grass and everything. Okay, no more monuments, you know, fancy monuments and everything. But you can walk and you can see names, of course, you know, and date of birth, date of death, or whatever. And if you grew up there, you you can see, you recognize a lot of the families, okay? Uh, So anyway, um, I got got shunted over there. I forgot what I was going to talk about. Uh, Let me see. Well, you look for our generations, uh, 25 years, I think, is, a, is, is some, sometimes said as a generation. And um, you start to see the history of a community, say the Japanese American community. In Chicago, and uh, this sense of generational marching along. And if you have a buff, you know, if you're real young, you say, Oh, well, I got my parents, I got my grandparents, and, you know, uh, you don't feel like you're next in line. You know, your generation, there's no buffer generations, okay? And as I said, for Japanese-Americans, for some reason, they're the only ethnic group that designated the the different generations since they came to America. So the first generation that was born in Japan came to America, and they're called the, the Issei, first generation to settle in America. And their children were called Nisei. Ichi, ni, san, one, two, three. So the nisei, and then that would be my parents. Then I am a sansei, number three generation. My kids are the fourth generation, yonsei. Okay. And I'm sure now there's fifth generation, go. Ichi, ni, san, shi, go, loko, ichi. That's one, two, three, four. Change okay, Japanese. Uh <clears throat> Gose, the fifth generation, my children's children okay. And uh, just recently um, we get together with uh, my son who has a what um, a year and a half old boy, Tyler, Tyler, Takahiro Kubose <laughs> you know. <laughs> his uh, so-called Japanese name is his middle name okay? Tyler Takahiro okay? Kubose and uh, he's he's a Gose he's a fifth generation okay uh, <clears throat> I think that when we think about the um, uh, plants in terms of Neo Hakuyo's Dharma glimpse about banana blossoms and uh, you learn the importance of one's own attitude when you look at something Um, those two processes sometimes when when you're a young adult you're looking for something. You're looking for the truth. You're looking for the greatest teaching. You, you're hoping that right around the corner, you're going to come into something that's going to change your life. Oh, a great book, a great uh, experience. Okay. And that's that's okay. And maybe as a teacher, you might want to try to improve yourself and and give opportunities that would encourage people in this way. Okay. Well, my point is that when when we were in Chicago, I was talking to a, another minister, Buddhist minister uh, in Chicago of another Shin Buddhist temple, and he was telling me he, see, they have we're independent temple, we're single, like just same like Bright Dawn. There's no other Bright Dawn centers around in America. Okay, that's not our purpose or our mission. Our temple was independent, Buddhist temple in Chicago. And, but the Buddhist churches of America have, um, I don't know, 50 temples, a lot on the West Coast, uh, in Oregon Washington. They have some in Denver. They got some in New York. They got one in Cleveland and so forth. But the point is is that uh, uh, the ministers get trained up, and one of the big purposes of the Buddhist churches of America is to have a seminary that provides ministers to, to provide, to be resident ministers in their resident temples. Okay. And um, this is, a, when you think about it, you know, maybe it's this is the same as for Presbyterian, Methodist, or whatever. They have a seminary, and then one of the churches say, well... You know, our minister's moving away, or he, he died, and we need a new minister. And they go to their central administrative organization, and, and oh, so-and-so is ready to, you know, is available and everything. This is the administrative aspect okay, of providing ministers, you know, through the seminaries, and they go out and, on and so forth. What happens if a minister wants to move? He doesn't like his congregation. Or what if a congregation says, "Man, we can't. We just can't stand this guy for some reason." Okay, and so they'll contact the the headquarters and say, uh, "You know, can we have a transfer?" Okay. So the minister of the uh, one of the temples in Chicago, he's a Japanese Buddhist minister, and some of them, uh, I, I don't know what the average stay of uh, Buddhist Churches of America, uh, Jodo Shinshu temples, you know, say they got about 50 temples scattered all across the United States, and uh, there's a separate cooldown. that means sort of an administrative center. They, they got one for Buddhist Churches of America, they got a separate one, completely separate one in Canada, it's a completely separate one in Hawaii completely separate one in you know, Brazil and all these things. So in Chicago, uh sometimes the ministers might stay for five years and for whatever reason, okay. And the ministers come and go in the long run. Some might stay for ten years, some might stay for twenty years, okay. And so this minister in Chicago, he, he was maybe, you know, uh, relatively new, first or second or third year. And the congregations, you see, this is, their feeling is, hey, I, this is my church. My, my grandparents came, went, my parents, me, we, we grew up with this church. This is our church over several generations. And here you get this, Unknown recent assigned minister coming in, and he's a Johnny Come Lately. He doesn't really know our history, really. He didn't experience it, and he may be gone in five years. Sort of, sort of a proprietary sense of my church is very strong for these old timers okay, of a congregation, and this makes for well, maybe unhealthy is a, too strong of a word, but uh, they have a feeling this is my temple. Okay. We're the ones that supported it. We're the ones that uh, put our sweat, blood, and tears when we did this building project or we did this and put on all these fundraisers. Okay, This is where we got married. This is where my parents had their funeral. and Everything... Is solid there, and then you get a new minister, and he's just a stranger. Okay, and he's your spiritual leader. He's your employee, because in America, the board of directors and the uh, control and own the temples, take care of the treasury and, you know, everything. Now sometimes, in, like in Japan, some temples were f- family-owned. It was a family business, you know. Not like here where you would have a board of directors and officers, and it's a different setup. The minister's family doesn't own the property of that, the physical property of this temple. This is, uh, this is more the so- administrative, political, sociological aspect, I guess, of religion and religious institutions in America in general, but uh, it's a reality. All right? Uh, so you get a longtime Temple member and he goes to the new minister and he says, Say, uh, Sensei, uh, <coughs> you know, this person's a of the temple, this—I've uh, been hearing feedback and everything. Uh, we, we really like you to concentrate on improving your Sunday Dharma talks. You got to put more, you know, more relevancy into them and some and everything. Now, uh, this is. has different ways to look at this, okay? The minister, if he's worth his salt, he might say, well, well let me think about privately and on his own time, think about, say, what am I doing? Uh, how am I doing? Uh, what can I do differently? Or, you know, uh, uh, he can't lord it over and say, well, I'm just going to do what I think's best. I'm the one that tells them what to do. Not the other way around, but, like I said, he's their employee. He's getting paid by that temple, and, uh, so he, uh, one aspect of their, of that conversation by an old-time, uh, uh lay leader of the temples telling them, a <laughs> young minister, um, and could you uh, improve your Dharma talks? Um, which, any minister worth his thought, would always be trying to increase his effectiveness and so forth, okay? rather than saying, hey, I'm on the pedestal, and you know that's not proper for you to criticize me. Uh, he said, well, one aspect angle to look at this situation is not so much for the congregation member to say uh, uh, concentrate their attitude about judging the quality of the Dharma message given by the minister uh because there is the truth of the matter that whether a Dharma talk is, has any impact depends on the attitude of the listener. And there's the rub. This is what what we're talking about. Okay. Uh, if you have an attitude about, wow, look at this blossom here, or look at this, man, this is, you know, and so forth. Versus, uh, hey, this is, you know, uh, it's not my hearing, my receptors, (laughs) receptivity. It's the the quality of the message. Now, clearly it's both. Both, if they're sincere, are working on it, okay? And as us, me talking about it from a third-party point of view, okay, not from the minister and from the congregation member, but I'm looking at that dialogue that he shared, okay? And if each side is stubborn, they might say, hey, my Dharma talks fine. You guys better shape up in terms of being more sincere seekers of the Dharma. Because if you're sincere seekers of the Dharma, no matter what the minister says, you get something out of it. He could raise his finger up in the air and not say a word or hold a flower up and it could have a significant spiritual impact if the receiver, the listener, okay, is really fine-tuned into it. Okay? As you can see where uh, it could be misapplied, misused, point of emphasis and all that kind of stuff but um, uh, it's good once in a while to think about this these kinds of aspects of the process of your spiritual journey okay, the teachings that you could receive how to be a better receptor okay, listener to see Dharma where maybe it wasn't even intended in the Dharma talk, the main point or whatever it is, okay, uh, and so forth. And at the same time, the uh, minister has a responsibility to his congregation in terms of being concerned about uh, his propagation efforts locally right there. Okay. So it could be, Misapplied or so forth on both ends, okay, and and then so each of us we have sort of a internal critic, an internal teacher, an internal student, and we might bounce around on those perspectives within ourselves, huh? and our inner teacher might say, hey. Come on, you've been been, the last few, the last, the last year or so, you you've been neglecting your spiritual journey and efforts and so forth. And then the other side, the guy might say, "Oh, gee, maybe uh, I, I better change some aspects of my lifestyle or something because I need more support. Oh, I better, maybe I should go." look around for my local group, so that I need some social, you know, support aspects in terms of spiritual journey, even though there may not be a a local temple or study group or meditation group uh, uh, handy. Maybe one cropped up in the last 10 years that I have since I've looked and so forth. Or maybe I should interact more with cyber sangha or so forth so these things um, uh, it behooves that's my message that everybody on a spiritual journey uh, should be going through this process and um, I remember uh, uh, different everyday events whether it's A new plant in your house, an experience with a pet, domestic problems, arguments, or good things, okay. To be aware to relate it to the Dharma. That's all for today's broadcast. Till next time. Keep going and you have a beautiful day. Thank you.